stories. And that even here today, that there are stories that will continue and there are stories that will begin. And it will start here. And it will start now in this place with you. And so God, we know that you are present and we know that you have promised that where your spirit is, that there is freedom and there is joy and there is hope and there is a future. And so God, we pray that in everything that is done and said today that you would be glorified and that we would not leave this place the same way that we came to it. We love you and we give you praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Are you ready for Christmas? I don't know that I heard you. Are you ready for Christmas? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you out there. I hear you out there. Hey, uh, before we dive into the, the message today, I just want to stop and say a, a very, very special thank you. Uh, we have some people in this room today that are very, very near and dear to my heart. They are our Connect Group leaders, and we are just finishing another session of Connect Groups up. I uh, just heard uh, Chris Hedlund, uh, his group is going to be finishing up tonight, but uh, but. I just, I have to share this with you because it's in the program here today, but, but you don't know how excited I am that, that nearly 50% of you are involved in small group discipleship. And that is amazing. The other 50% of you, let's talk after the service. I want to assuage your fears. Uh, maybe I'll buy you a cookie or a scone or a cup of coffee or something like that. Let's talk about it and let's see if we can't get you into a, a connect group this next session, which by the way, signups are going to be starting uh, in January. So be on the, the lookout uh, for, for that. But the question that I want to start out here with this morning comes in the form of a story. How is it that everyone is in on this conspiracy? How is it that everyone, absolutely everyone, seems to be in on this conspiracy? From his parents to the mall Santa Claus and now his homeroom teacher, young Ralphie Parker was convinced that they were all conspiring against him because their responses to his deepest desires were the same, and it just wasn't fair. After all, what young boy, and if you're a young boy under the age of 10 in this room here, you know what I'm talking about. What young boy couldn't handle an official Red Ryder carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle? And as the central character from the 1983 movie A Christmas Story lay in the snow after suffering a grievous wound to both his pride and his glasses, he heard the echoing prophetic words ringing in his ears of, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. No one, no one likes I told you so moments. Those moments were, in spite of all doubt and all reason, you were proven wrong. And after all, you're the right, most right person that you know, right? And so if you're wrong, it means that somebody else is, they're less right than you are, right? 
Now, you're, it, means, it means that you're wrong. And somebody else is right. Well, this morning, this morning we are going to be continuing our journey through the songs of Christmas to take a look at an I told you so moment that had a significant impact on a man named Zechariah and how that impacts you and I today. But first, before we jump into this, a little bit of context. You see, when we, when we talk about the Christmas story, the biblical narrative, not Ralphie's, uh, we often think about the baby Jesus and Joseph and Mary. Maybe we sprinkle in some, some shepherds and, and wise men uh, in there. However, there are other characters that are involved in the story as well. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were relatives of Mary. And being descended from priestly families in Israel's history, Zechariah served within a division of priests. On one occasion, while serving in the temple of the Lord, an angel of the Lord named Gabriel appeared right next to the altar of incense where Zechariah was serving. Now, I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you, um, but that, that wasn't what we would like to call a common experience. And so understandably, Zechariah was afraid. And we're going to take a look at the exchange between uh, Zechariah and the angel at, at, at the front end here, starting in, in Luke chapter 1 in verse 13. And it says this, But the angel of the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Good luck with that. Your, prayers, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He, will, he is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he is, he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. He kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Zechariah couldn't believe it. How could this happen? And why them? They were old. They were past their prime. They, were do they had done their time. 
Couldn't God have chosen a, a more idealistic or more younger, more energetic couple? And for nine months, Zechariah probably played that moment with Gabriel time and time again in his head. And for nine months, Zechariah in silence pondered all of these things as he watched his wife begin to show her pregnancy. And then, finally, gave birth to a healthy baby boy. Everything that God was promising, everything that he had promised was being delivered. And as the family gathered around them on the eighth day, as was the, the practice within the culture after the, the, the birth, they, they planned to name him after his father. And even with her protest, they dismissed Elizabeth, demanding, uh, demanding that the baby be named John. Until Zechariah finally wrote out the words, his name is John. And suddenly... And suddenly, after nine months of silence, the, the silence was broken, and the sound of joy was released from his lips. And we find this, if we, if we fast forward in Luke chapter one, we find this starting in, in verse 68. He says, praise be the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord and prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the, into the path of peace. And Luke finishes this chapter out by saying that the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly in Israel. Zechariah's sudden praise from silence was so boisterous, it was so rowdy and loud that in verse 65 it tells us that all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the entire hill country of Judea, people were talking about all of these things. God made a promise and he was delivering on it. It was an I told you so moment for Zechariah. And we can discover more about this promise as we look at Zechariah's praise. And so let's go ahead and dive into it. This is in your notes Number two here, the promise 
of Christmas. There are four major components within Zechariah's praise which speak to the promise that God was unfolding. Now, as we go through these, I want you to keep something in mind. These are not four individual promises, but these are facets of the same promise. They're inseparable. You can't have one without the other. And it all starts with letter A, salvation. For hundreds of years, for hundreds of years, Israel had been tossed back and forth, exiled to or occupied by foreign powers. Even in this present state where, where this is being written, there's, there's enemy occupation in Israel. There was this longing for God to deliver them back to their glory days. And oh man, don't we love our glory days. They always seem better than they actually were in our memory. But boy, we love them. For Israel, this was back to the reign of King David. And this will be important later, so hold, hold on to that. Yet God was doing something that was so much bigger than Israel itself. You know, we, we talk a lot about salvation in Christianity. And, and I've had some conversations where, where the question has come up of, of salvation from what? what? What is it salvation from? Or what is it salvation to? This is number one here. It's salvation from our enemies. Salvation from our enemies. And while Israel had and arguably still has to this day many enemies who hate their very existence as a nation, Zechariah's declaration of salvation from our enemies would go far beyond political or national enemies. God was doing something that was so much bigger than a nation and his fight was with an enemy beyond any known superpower. The enemy... Sin and death. You see, sin had dominion over the world and mankind had relinquished our intended place of authority by submitting to sin through willful disobedience. We exchanged the truth of God for a lie and all creation was impacted by these ancient enemies. This resulted in death and a whole lot of death. After all, Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages or the earned income for sin is always death. And throughout all of human history, we have tried and we have tried and we try this very, to this very day to cover up the shame of sin with more sin. Isn't it interesting how this happens? And, and maybe you found yourself getting into the cycle where, where there's, there's an, the initial sin, but then you have to lie to cover it up, and then you have to, uh, you, then you have to, to fake things over here, and, and suddenly one thing turns into the next, and it's kind of like a credit card. You keep swiping a credit card for long enough, and a bill is coming. Let me not remind you that this Christmas season. <laughs> But we do this and we downplay its impact. 
all while powerless to shake out the talons of sin and death alone. But Romans 5, 20 through 21 says, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Zechariah would proclaim that God himself was stepping onto the scene He says in verse 68, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. This meant a salvation from something else. Number two, fear of separation. There had been a long, long, long period of silence in Israel. And the silence was being broken. You know, as I've I've looked at the, the gap that we have between the Old Testament and the New Testament, I wonder if there were periods of time in there where where Israel wondered what's gonna happen? There's silence. What now? Have we been separated from our God? And yet God was doing something. The silence was being broken. That fear of separation was being removed. And you know, if you've heard talk about salvation, likely you've heard it in the context of salvation from hell, which is a a whole other message in and of itself because sin always separates us from a holy God. But think about it like this. If God is holy and there's nothing short, then there's nothing short of that which can exist in his presence. But God stepping into the scene in the person of Jesus provided a means to make us holy as he is holy. And when we accept the gift of salvation from our sins, we no longer have to fear eternal separation from God. In in Zechariah's song, he declares in verse 74 and 75 that in rescuing us from the hand of our enemies, that God had enabled us to serve him without fear, in holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. And this brings us to the second part of the promise, letter B, hope. Is a little bit ironic I like to say that, uh, that coincidence is God's uh, way of trying to remain inconspicuous and it's probably the one thing that he's not very good at. But, you know, this morning we, light, we lit the candle of hope and as God was stepping into his creation, the long years of silence were being broken and there was hope in Israel again. The hope that God was restoring us in relationship with himself and that he was creating a new future as he promised that he would. You know, hope is a little bit like light. The absence of hope obstructs us from seeing what might be right in front of us while the smallest flicker of hope can illuminate the darkness, revealing just a little bit more than we could see before. 
as Zechariah was praising God, he had nothing more to go on than the promise of God. But as he began to see that, he was filled with an incredible hope. You know, I wonder today if there are some of us that are here that could use a little bit more hope this season. I, I don't want to be trite in saying this, but I, but I feel like it's necessary to tell you this. I want you to know that you have a heavenly Father who loves you, who knows right where you are today. He knows your circumstances. He knows where you find yourself and within the celebration of Christmas, he wants you to know that he is not distant. He is not silent. And he desires to step in your world right alongside you. But he's waiting for your invitation. He wants to walk alongside of you and show you the, poss the possibilities of life that is free from fear and filled with peace, which is the next part of the promise. Letter C, peace. God would deal with our enemies and he would comfort the fear of feeling like we had to be good enough to be in a relationship with him. He promised to walk alongside of us through his Holy Spirit. He would, he would help us walk in holiness and righteousness he would take us from the place that he found us into a new reality or to put it into modern language. God would enable us to walk a different way, set apart to enjoy him in the way that he intended life to be. This type of life, as Zechariah would put it, would guide our feet in the path of peace. And this was all made possible by letter D, redemption. Redemption is kind of a funny word because it usually requires that something is given in replacement of another thing. Now, I've shared with you guys on, on several occasions over the last uh, year and some change that I've been writing uh, video game reviews on the side. And, and usually the exchange goes a little bit like this. I'm given an offer I exchange that offer for whatever the, the product is in a digital marketplace, and there is an exchange of goods. I exchange a code, I receive a product, and, and at the, the point of that redemption, something is exchanged and something is lost. There's no longer, that, that thing that I exchanged is no longer good, it's gone. And let me put this into a little bit different terms. Do you have any coupon clippers out there? Any coupon clippers? A couple, couple people? Awesome. I grew up in a house of coupon clippers, so I know the jam here with this. So it's like redeeming a coupon. You exchange a coupon for, say, 20% off of a purchase price. The store then takes it. It's done. The deal is struck. You've reached an accord, and it's discarded. Of course, if you're really a couponer, you probably partner that coupon with a sale price or find a place where both, with, which will both pr price match with a lower price and take the coupon discount. So it's kind of like 25% instead of 20%. You, you, you follow with me? No? No, okay. Yeah, my, that's what my mom would do. It was awesome. But redemption is kind of like that, where something is given ex in exchange for something else. 
For Elizabeth, we haven't talked a whole lot about so far. For Elizabeth, this hope, this promise of God meant a redemption. It was trading a, a shame and disgrace that she felt from being childless in exchange for the favor of God's willing and, and by their willingness to trust him. And this is what God was promising. Not that he would clip coupons or find us the best sale price, but that he would give us his son in exchange for our sin. He would take away the earned income for our sin, nullifying its punishment by the payment of his son's life so that we could live life under new terms. Now, I know what some of you are probably thinking out there. Has Pastor Damien really been preaching so long that it, we went right from Christmas to Easter? Yes. Sort of. They're inseparably tied together, so you really can't talk about one without, without the other. Uh, but uh, in, uh, there's, a, there's a Christmas song that I absolutely love. It's, uh, it's called I Celebrate the Day. It's by a band uh, named Reliant K, and it, it says that Jesus was born to die so that I could one day pray for him to save my life. There's an exchange that happens. There's a redemption that happens. So before I keep you until Easter, let's get into the so what here. Number three, the I told you so. You know, there's a beautiful thing about God's I told you so's. They're never smug. I know, I know that we know people like that, that, you know, that they, they have that I told you so and it's always that smug thing, but with God, it's never that. It's just, this is what is. As, and after all, if we truly believe who he, who he is, then he sees all ends anyway, and so where they lead. But there are two major I told you so moments that we can see that really shouldn't be a surprise. The first is letter A, that God is a keeper of promises. God is a keeper of promises. God's, promises, God's promise went far further back than Gabriel's conversation with Zechariah. Interestingly enough, God has been making and keeping promises since the beginning of time. His words produce light and life, and while there are many, many, many stories of God's faithfulness that I could share, there are two people specifically that were mentioned within Zechariah's song. And in Israel, their faith was legendary. But when you look at the pages of Scripture, these were ordinary people like you and like me. The first of those was Abraham. God promised in Genesis 12, two through three, he said, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make you, your name great and, I, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people, all people on earth will be blessed through you. God promised to expand Abraham's family or the lineage which would receive the blessing of this covenantal relationship with God beyond what Abraham could have ever imagined. You see, God was teasing out his long game that through this family, all nations, everyone would have the opportunity to be blessed through Christ. 
Zechariah mentioned this covenantal relationship that God had with, with Israel. Uh, and it began with, with Abraham, but it didn't stop there. He also mentions number two, David. Remember I mentioned King David earlier. Zechariah paints a picture of God raising up a horn of salvation in David's house. He, he wasn't suggesting that, that God was going to hold up a tuba or a pair of antlers named salvation in David's living room. No, he was, he was giving this imagery that would symbolize a mighty king, one whose call would be heard and known worldwide. And so God would keep his promise not only to Abraham, but to David, that through David's lineage, that he would bring a king, an eternal king, into the world. And Jesus would confirm this, and he would declare in Revelation chapter 22, verse, verse 16, he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. See, even when we're not capable of seeing it, we can rest assured that God's promises never fail. If you want some, some uh, extracurricular reading on that, Hebrews chapter 11 is a great, great place to look at that too, to see more of the promises that God was delivering on. But there's one last part of the I told you so. And this brings it home. God, God wants partnership with us. God wants partnership with you. God wants partnership with me. Even with a divine messenger, Zechariah had a hard time believing that God could use him and that God could use Elizabeth. He considered that he was too old, too spent to be any use to God outside of his daily duties, yet God saw their faithfulness and wanted to partner with them. But God's desire for human partnership neither began nor ended with Zechariah and Elizabeth. God still wants to partner with you and me. For the same reason that God was, was calling John out is a similar reason that he wants to partner with us. To prepare the way for the Lord. To make him and the knowledge of salvation known. To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. And to guide many, many, many feet into the path of peace with God. I want you to hear me a second. If you get nothing else from today, if you hear nothing else from this morning, please hear this. Christmas is a reminder that God has not overlooked you. Let me say that again. Christmas is a reminder that God has not overlooked you. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you like crazy and while you may have given up on yourself or whether you feel too old or too young or too spent or too smart or not smart enough or not talented enough, God has not overlooked you. 
And he wants to partner with you. He wants you on his team. You are not the B string. You're not the B team. You're God's choice. God chose to step into the mess of our world because of you. Love that about Christmas. And perhaps, and perhaps as you consider this notion that God wants you on his team, perhaps there's a ministry that, that he has waiting for you. Maybe there's a discipling relationship that, that you need to be in, whether it's, whether it's you being discipled by somebody, having somebody pour into you what they know about God and what they know about following God, or maybe, maybe, just maybe, God wants you to take that knowledge that you have, that you have accrued over the years, and pour that into other people. Because guess what? We're not gonna be able to hang on to it for very long. Perhaps God is in the process of preparing you for something that, you, that feels way too big for you, that's way too scary, or maybe that something that you've overlooked. Maybe God is preparing, has been preparing you for something that you have thought insignificant, and God wants to partner with you in that area. Never, 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 never underestimate God's ability to partner with you today to have eternal rippling effects on history beyond anything that you could ever see. Or maybe, maybe this gets a little bit more, more personal here. Maybe you've never had a personal relationship with God. And maybe you've been in church or you've heard stories, you've heard people talk about, about finding freedom or, or in Christ or you've seen life transformation that's happened in people, but you've never sought it out for yourself. I don't know of a better way to celebrate Christmas than embracing God's promise for your life. And I, and, and I don't say this to be trite, but do not leave this place. If that's you, do not leave this place. If you are at that point and you, and you say to yourself, you know what, I don't know why I haven't done this. I don't know why I haven't taken this step. Please talk to myself, talk to Pastor Mark, talk to one of our prayer team. We would love to talk you through that and walk the, you through that because God wants to partner with you too. As for Zechariah, we don't know how much longer, we don't know how much he got to watch John grow. But we do know that as a man, that John would become a passionate preacher who would prepare many for Jesus' ministry. Many would be baptized by John into new life and salvation just as God had promised Zechariah. Many would experience freedom from sin and the fear of separation from God and John would get a front row seat to seeing God's declaration of Jesus' sonship and to be a living part of God delivering on his promises. And I can just imagine in those moments as Zechariah watched 
John grow, as a father watched his son develop, that somewhere in the back of Zechariah's mind, he could hear a faint whisper of, see, I told you so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much that you are a keeper of promises. That your, your promises that you make are good. That you're not in the business of failure or abandonment. And God, maybe there are some times where we've felt failed or we've felt abandoned or we've felt distance. And God, I, I pray this morning if, if, if there's anyone in this room that, that's, that's felt that way or that's feeling that way right now that, that we would lean into you because you promise through your salvation and through redemption, you promise peace and hope. You promise good things. And you deliver in a big way. And so God, as we close out here this morning and, and as we close in the song, God, I pray it would be that there would be a, a, not only a, a declaration of your faithfulness, but God, where there's need for confession as well, that that would happen too. God, we pray that you would forgive our un unfaithfulness, our disbelief. And God, would you restore us to you? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we sing this closing song, would you stand? I'm going to be uh, standing up here on the side. I'm going to invite the prayer team down. At any point, if you need some prayer or would like to pray through some of the things that we talked about, please, please, please join us here this morning.